it's like watching things that are not safe for work as if it were a cornerback. Like, I feel dirty when I'm done watching him. Like, I need a cigarette or something. Hi, I'm former Buffalo Bills wide receiver Don Beebe, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. Because nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go Bills. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate. Thank you so much for joining us on another draft episode where we talk to none other than Bruce Nolan of the Bruce Exclusive Podcast. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, I guarantee you've heard his podcast. And like I do every year, I wanted to get Bruce's thoughts on several different prospects in the draft. Now, if you've been listening to the Bruce Exclusive, he mentioned a couple of weeks ago his uh, biggest needs heading into the draft. And so I touch on the three biggest needs, and we talk about some players being mocked to the Bills in those three different areas and also that leads to discussion about several other prospects and other positions and uh, places the Bills could go in the draft in general. Just always a great conversation with Bruce uh, discussing these things. I always look forward to this conversation and I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. So without further ado, Bruce Nolan from the Bruce Exclusive Podcast. He is the host of the Bruce Exclusive Podcast, which airs twice every week on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network and on the Locker Room app. He is a writer for buffalorumblings.com during the season. And uh, earlier this week, we were fortunate to have the Buffalo Rumblings draft writing brain trust on. And now we have the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast brain trust on this week. I'd like to welcome Bruce Nolan back to the podcast. Bruce, it is so good to finally talk to you again. How are you? Dude, I'm fantastic. How are you? Hi, I'm wonderful. You know, this this is a little bit of a trip down memory lane for me, uh, specifically with you, because I found out about your podcast two years ago, and I think everyone kind of did when you did your recap of the, what is it, the 2019 draft uh, at the time. And, uh, and I remember it being shared over Twitter and I try to like, listen to other podcasts when I get a chance, like other, a lot of other, you know, uh, people out there on Twitter and Instagram, like they'll put out their podcast and I try to listen whenever I can, but you know how it is. Like you're busy listening to your other podcast, your comedy podcast or whatever. And I remember listening to yours and that was the first one where I actually listened to it and I'm like, wow, this was compelling. And it was like over an hour long. It wasn't like a short 20 minute one, boom in out. Like, let's see what they have next. Like that was that was my first introduction to to Bruce Nolan and uh, and it's fun that we're doing this two years later and I'm actually you know uh, working with you again this is this is this is this is fun I do spend a lot of time wondering like what if I would have totally bombed that podcast because <laughs> that's the podcast that Matt Warren listened to and Anthony Marino listened to that kind of inspired them to 
reached out to me about potentially joining Buffalo Rumblings. And I, I think a lot about that podcast. It was the uh, Ed Oliver reaction podcast and things like that. And, you know, I think a lot about like, what would have happened if I just would have completely bombed that podcast? Like if I would have gotten on that podcast and just completely laid an egg, like <laughs> where would I be now? Like would I, would I even still be podcasting or would I have given it up and be like, nobody wants to listen to any of my stuff and ever more. So it's just, it, I, it's funny, you know, because that's kind of the pod that everybody points back to because that was a lot of the Buffalo rumblings, people's introduction to me and everybody else kind of came along at different points, but that was like the big pivot point for Nick and I, when we came over to the Buffalo rumblings podcast network and we became the Nick and Nolan show. And then after Nick retired, I became the Bruce exclusive, but I do think a lot about that podcast. I think a lot about if I, you know, what about the bills? What if the bills would have picked somebody different and I wouldn't have had interesting things to say about that player, then where would I be? It's just, mm-hmm. it's just kind of fun how things work out. It is. It is. It reminds me. Did you see that uh, the new Bohemian Rhapsody movie with uh, about Queen? I didn't see it yet. It's on my DVR, though. Well, there's a point, and this isn't giving it away. This is the history of the band. But obviously, Freddie Mercury joins the band. And uh, and it starts because, you know, the, the lead singer of the band, you know, leaves and then starts the story of Queen. And, you know, they w- if, if, if that wouldn't have happened, you would have been that guy that left the band. Instead of Freddie Mercury like you are now, you know, one of the best, uh, one of the best, you know, singers out there. I, I guess I, w- I wouldn't say, you know, singers necessarily, although I he- have heard you sing um, on the podcast before, but, uh, so, but yeah. Fun little Bruce fact. Uh, I love queen, love queen, huge queen fan. So I think that might be the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me comparing me to Freddie, Freddie Mercury, I think is the highest compliment that I ever could have possibly been given. So anyway, again, so glad that you were able to do this. I know you're a busy guy. You're on every single podcast, big and small. And so I'm going to get right into it just so that, uh, so that we can do this and get you out in time. So first things first, um, you know, there's a lot of different needs for the Buffalo Bills. Um, I always liked and appreciated what you said that, uh, you know, even where, even in a team that made the AFC championship last season, uh, there's still a lot of needs going into this next season. You're not just one piece away, which I think a lot of people are viewing this as just one or two pieces away. There's a lot of pieces. And in, in a podcast uh, last week, you went into your 10 biggest needs. And this tonight, we're going to focus on, uh, for, for the most part, the top three needs that you that you laid out and mentioned. And I did a bunch of different mock draft simulations over at the uh, thedraftnetwork.com. And I wanted to give you some ideas of the players that were uh, simulated to the Bills the most often, which one you would choose. And then below that, which ones were available from your biggest needs that you might take instead. Just to kind of get a feel for your thoughts on each player, uh, an idea of where you rank them as opposed to each other. Cause it's easy to say, well, I'd rather take a uh, pay over uh, Jason away, but what about, you know, uh, Jason away versus Landon Dickerson, something like that. So um, let's go into your, fir- your, your top three needs, which you mentioned were uh, an edge right now is number three um, interior offensive lineman right now, uh, guard center uh, and CB two right now. Those are your top three needs. So let's start off with the players that were, most simulated to the bills in round one. And the first thing I, and and I know your thoughts on this, but Caleb Farley was by far the most uh, simulated cornerback uh, to the Buffalo bills in round one. He's out of the, he's the cornerback out of Virginia tech, had some injury issues um, in in history. Um, 
it sounds like from what I heard in your podcast last week and from what you've done, you talked to cover one just a night ago. Um, you would love to see Caleb Farley on the Buffalo bills as CB two. Oh, absolutely. I would. Now there are certain edge rushers. I would take over him, even though I think he's a fantastic talent, mostly because I think this cornerback class is so much better than this edge class. But as far as just ranking cornerbacks, if there wasn't back injury issues, if there wasn't a torn ACL in his past, then there would be a reasonable discussion this year as to whether or not Patrick Sertain or Caleb Farley was CB1. And when you watch his 2019 film, you watch it and think to yourself, yep, everything I need, he's got the technique, the physicality, the long speed, the fluidity, the length, ability and press, multiple different coverage techniques, everything you want, Caleb Farley's got it, except for the clean bill of health. And so the interesting thing for me about Farley is that players with his film don't make it to 30. So if he makes it to 30, it's because a lot of other teams who could use a player like that decided that the medical wasn't good enough. So if he falls to 30, do you take a crack at him anyway? Now, that's the weird thing about this particular situation for people like you and I. We don't have the medical. We don't have medical. So mm. we just kind of assume, based on where he gets taken, the way that the league looks at his medical. We saw this with Maurice Hurst. We saw this with Montez Sweat. We saw this with, uh, gosh, who was the uh, the Auburn tackle last year? Prince Tegawanaho last year ended up falling and it turns out he had a hip issue. When I start to see people fall in the draft, I think it's probably medical because the character mm -hmm. stuff, if it's an off the field thing that has a tendency to leak and come out, the medical stuff doesn't necessarily leak until way after the draft. So you start to see this person fall and they're number one on Mel Kuyper's best available board for like two days. <laughs> and it's like, what's going on here? If that's the case, it's probably medical. So with Caleb Farley, yes, I can say, sit here and say, I want him at 30, but if the bills don't pick him at 30, I can't like throw my hands up in the air and be mad about it because they've got a very pivotal piece. I don't have, which is medical. Mm -hmm. Now you've kind of convinced me over the last few episodes and, and what I've heard you do on other podcasts that if you don't go edge in the first round there is a steep drop off maybe maybe not in talent drop off but just the ability to get a startable edge defender just based on history at least so when i say you know for example jason away is the next most simulated player to the buffalo bills the defensive end out of penn state just side by side based on what you've said uh, there's cornerbacks. This is a cornerback deep draft. You may be able to get a cornerback that's a CB2 that's very athletic in the second round. I'm guessing, and let me know if I'm right or wrong, you would take Jason away over Caleb Farley knowing those things. I wouldn't take away over Farley. I would take Quiddy Pay over Farley. I would take I would take Azizo Jalari over Farley, but I probably wouldn't take Jason away. And here's the reason why. I don't think Jason away is going to come in and be an impact year one anyway. So even if Caleb Farley isn't fully recovered, he's in the same boat as Jason OA, which is someone who might not make an impact early on, but you're still betting on talent. And if that's the case, I'm going to take Caleb Farley. So I would take Farley over away, but I would take pay over Farley from mm -hmm. a board standpoint. Okay. 
Okay, I did see Quiddy Pay mocked a few times to the Buffalo Bills, but definitely not nearly as often as Jason Oway. He's usually gone by the time that happened. And I remember the one that you did with Cover One. That's funny that that in that one that they did because they did do it through the mock dra- or uh, the draft network. That uh, who is the edge that you guys took? Aziz Ojulari. Um, that was available. That's never been available when I've done these simulations. I've done like twenty twenty five of them. So. Um, obviously you would take him over Caleb Farley as well. I would, I would take okay. him over Caleb Farley. I did. Um, every time I've seen it, it's popped up that way. Now I don't think Aziz Ojolari is going to be there, but if he was, then yes, that's the way I would feel about it. Now the next two positions. Now this goes back to your top three needs for the Buffalo bills. We're talking interior linemen and we're also talking uh, the cornerback. Another cornerback that's been mocked several times to the Buffalo Bills is Eric Stokes, the cornerback out of Georgia, and then Landon Dickerson, the guard out of Alabama. Um, that comes up more times than not. He's always available when the Bills pick at 30, it seems. Um, between those two players, who do you like and why do you like those players? Okay, so if they're both there, i probably take Stokes, mostly because I don't think there's a big I don't think there's a big drop off between the top four corners and the next three corners. I have seven corners with first round reasonable grades this year. Mm -hmm. Seven. It's a great corner class. So for me, if the Bills took Stokes at 30, I'm good with it. If they took Mm -hmm. Farley at 30, I'm good with it. Landon Dickerson's a good player, but he's not as clean of a projection for me as Eric Stokes is. Eric Stokes is a fairly clean projection. I know what you're going to get from him. He's a good athlete. He plays well in press man. I just don't have a lot of questions about Eric Stokes. Landon Dickerson has some fairly significant injury issues. And he's a good player. I like Landon Dickerson. I would take him, but I wouldn't take him over Stokes, mostly because it's a cleaner projection at a need I think is higher. Now, these top seven cornerbacks that you mentioned um, in the first round, they have first round grade in, these are like uber athletic cornerbacks, right? That's why they're going in the first round. They're obviously mm-hmm. great coverage corner. Now, knowing what we know about Brandon Bean and the way that he drafts defensive backs, don't they tend to go for like, at least <laughs> at least in the past, you, that was always your big beef with Levi Wallace, right? He was he was big. He had the size, or he had the, he had the length at least, but he never had the athletic ability, right? Dane Jackson, the same the same issue. What what makes you think that when the Bills eventually do draft a defensive back, which they have to at least at least one this draft, do you think it'll be that when their track record really hasn't been that way the last few drafts? I think people evolve and their tendencies evolve. I'm not going to say, I'm not willing to say, yes, they'll break the last little bit of tendency and not go with a scrappy, long 4-6 corner with aggressive mindset. I really think that there's an opportunity there for them to evolve. But Sean McDermott made a draft pick without Brandon Bean, and he picked Tredavious White. And Tredavious White is not an elite athlete, but Tredavious White's a good athlete. And if you end up picking a player who's a good athlete, I'll take that. <laughs> you know, like oh, yeah. if, if I can't get elite athleticism, at least give me decent or good athleticism. <laughs> so I do think there's a chance that they evolve. I, I don't think that I don't think that necessarily their archetype when it comes to defensive backs is just that way because they think those are the ideal players. It's also because Levi Wallace was an undrafted free agent. 
and Dane Jackson with a seventh round pick. So yes, that archetype frustrates me from the Buffalo Bills front office, but also you don't get crazy athletic defensive backs in the seventh round because they go earlier than that. You don't Mm -hmm. get crazy athletic defensive backs who have great ball skills and man coverage ability as an undrafted free agent, because if they were, they'd be Eric Stokes. So (laughs) I understand why they did it. So I give them a hard time about the archetype, but it's almost, it's almost excusable as an archetype out of necessity rather than an archetype out of preference. And I think that this year is probably going to tell us something. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm hoping it's what you're saying and it's not hubris from the coaching staff's ability to think, well, we created Josh Norman who wasn't this uber athletic, you know, player and made him an all pro, you know, I, I guess I'm just hoping that that's what they're thinking. They just, the, the opportunity never arose as opposed to them thinking, okay, I'll just take a guy in the second, third or fourth or fifth round and then make him into a starting CB two since we have Tredavious white, you know, uh-huh. I agree yeah. with you. I, I, you know, hoping. I was worried that there might be a little bit of that hubris when you look at some of the draft records. But if there's anything that can humble that, it's getting the doors blown off on you by Tyreek Hill and the Kansas City Chiefs. So <laughs> even if that's the case, maybe it was a wonderful learning lesson and maybe we'll draft somebody who can actually run. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be nice. What a, what a, what a concept. Um, <laughs> <laughs> round two, we're looking at, uh, when we look at uh, players that are most often simulated to the Buffalo Bills in round two, I'm looking at Carlos Basham Jr., the defensive end out of Wake Forest, and Elijah Molden, the cornerback out of Washington. Now, I know Elijah Molden's more of a, of a slot corner, and, and I see him mock to the Bills. Do you think that that's a little bit too early for a slot corner. I know it's a need. It's not as high on your needs or maybe most people's needs, but um, what are your thoughts on Elijah Molden being taken that early as just a slot corner? And then, you know, thoughts on Carlos Basham Jr. I have absolutely no issue drafting a slot corner in the second round. Zero. Because they're a starter. If you don't have an issue drafting a third linebacker, then you should have even less of an issue drafting a nickel corner because your nickel corner is on the board more often than your on the field, more often than your third linebacker. So for me, if you want somebody who can be a team leader, be that processy player that Elijah Molden is and fly all over the board and make plays. And I understand that there's some real concerns about crazy long speed, but if you're in the nickel, it's more about quickness than it is speed anyway. So for him, he's an explosive player who comes downhill and is really competitive and will fight you like a dog in the run game. And I really think that there's a, you know, there's a little bit of some versatility to what he does, you know, play some slot safety for you. So if he can kill two birds with one stone, right, be a nickel and also potentially back up Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, that makes him very valuable as a second round pick. So for me, I absolutely am completely reasonable taking Elijah Molden on day two. Mm-hmm. Now, what about Carlos Basham Jr., the defensive end over Wake for over at Wake Forest? What do you think about his skill set? Obviously, he's been taking a lot later than Jason Away and uh, you know Quiddy Pay, um, Aziz Olajari. Uh, what are your thoughts on his skill set, and and does he make sense for you in round two for the Buffalo Bills? The thing that I think is interesting about Carlos Basham is I was trying to figure out what I thought of him and. 
Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network actually made a comparison that stuck with me. And he said, guys, I, I think I know who Carlos Basham is. I think he's Shaq Lawson, which I thought was really interesting. You know, he's not necessarily a incredibly elite quickness player. He's more of a physical slug it out punch kind of defender. And there is a, a lack of in what I would consider to be explosive moves from him. The same way that we saw from Shaq Lawson. We knew Shaq Lawson was a good athlete. You know, he behaved and moved like a good athlete. But would you ever look at Shaq Lawson on the field and say he was explosive? I, I, I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't think that at all. No. So for me, the whole, you know, Shaq Lawson comparison, it pops up a little bit with him. And my general theory when it comes to players who are edges, who you take later in the draft, is this. Draft for tools later on. Because if you look at the top amount of hurries in the league for the NFL last year. Most of them are either first round picks or later guys who had tools. If you look at Shaq Barrett, later round guy who had tools, Khalil Mack, first round pick, Jerry Hughes, first round pick, Cameron Jordan, first round pick, Brandon Graham, first round pick, Bradley Chubb, first round pick, Miles Garrett, first round pick, Emmanuel Ogba, later pick, tools, Brian Burns, first round pick, Alden Smith, first round pick, Olivier Vernon, Toolsy, Demarcus Lawrence, Toolsy, Carl Lawson, Toolsy. Mm -hmm. I mean, these players were all first round picks or they were players later who had tools. There isn't a lot of really try hard players. They're like, well, you know, he gives good effort and he's physical. There aren't those players at the top of the hurry list for the NFL every year. Those players don't show up. We go, yes, okay, that's nice. They become the Chris Kelsey's of the world and the Ryan mm -hmm. Denny's of the world. And people give Aaron Schobel a bunch of crap, but Aaron Schobel's a really good athlete. Aaron Schobel was a really good athlete for the Buffalo Bills. I think he got categorized as that high motor tryhard guy, but Aaron Schobel coming out of TCU was a really good pick in the second round. He was athletic, and he ended up being my favorite player of the draft in the entire drought area, probably, for the Buffalo Bills. So when I look at Carlos Basham Jr., I see a low ceiling player. And if I'm going to draft someone in the second round, I care about their ceiling. So if I want to pick someone on day two and they're an edge rusher, I'm okay with Basham Jr. I'm fine, but I would never feel excited about it. It's the same way I felt about AJ Epinesa. When the Bills drafted AJ Epinesa, I went, okay, yeah, I get it. It's fine. Like, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be a 10 sack a year guy in the NFL, but I, I, yeah, okay. And then he came in and completely changed his body composition. And now I'm like, okay, well, let's see what he's got because the body composition changes things. But unless you're going to ask Carlos Basham Jr. to come in and completely modify his body type, I don't think you're going to get the explosion and the tools that I want to see from uh, an impact edge rusher. So when you look at players like Janarius Robinson and Peyton Turner on day two, probably more more third round picks than second round picks. I'd almost rather see Janarius Robinson in the third than Boogie Basham in the second. You know, what's interesting is I did an interview with uh, Dean Kindig from uh, the Buffalo fanbase.com draft tech. And <clears throat> he has this very uh, intricate spreadsheet. He calls the war chart, the bills mafia war chart where he, uh, I mean, he follows the team jets as far as where they go to which pro day to which games that they visited. And what's interesting is 
as many, obviously you'd figure that the, the scouts and the front office personnel for the Buffalo Bills would, would look at uh, a lot of players in the first round, right? Because you want to go through all those guys. You want to make sure that you have the best first round pick available um, from all those guys. The, the next section, which they almost have more scouts visiting and more times when Brandon Bean attended a pro day or, or a game was in the third round which is odd. You would think obviously would go first round, second round, third round, then a few, you know, sleepers, right? Um, guys in the third round were almost visited as, as often or, or scouted as often as guys in the first round, at least as far as, you know, the big board goes and mock drafts go and, you know, that could change day to day. But um, I always thought that was interesting. I wonder if while we're talking about it, there's a possibility that they look at that edge position. And they say, Hey, maybe that's the reason why they don't want to go round two. Maybe they trade down a little bit. Maybe they get another third round pick. And that might've been a plan all along so that they could go. I mean, I'm completely hypothesizing here that this might happen speculating. Um, but the, if, if you're looking at like those, the pain Turner from Houston, that could go uh, round three, or you're looking at uh, maybe Quincy Roche, in round three or Janarius Robinson, like you mentioned from Florida state, um, that would be the time to do it. And maybe that's, maybe that's something they're looking at along with their, obviously their round three pick. I feel like sometimes when we look at attendance at pro days and things like that, scouting, I think we have a tendency to think it's a different reason that it is. And sometimes they need to get questions answered. Sometimes the, the draft process is about checking boxes for people more so than indicated interest. So I'll give you a great example. The Bills openly admitted that they didn't know if Devin Singletary could catch any passes. So they made sure to meet with him with their running back coach and put them put him through some pass catching drills because they needed to answer that question because after you're done looking at Devin Singletary on tape from Florida, you're like, okay, he played lower division football. We got a chance to see him against Oklahoma, but you know, Florida Atlantic, Florida International, some of these schools that are in Florida that are not Division One, I, I don't know if I necessarily have the exposure to them. So what I need to do is I need some questions answered. I need to know right now if this guy can catch because I didn't see it on film. So I might attend his pro day because I want to see how natural his hands are in person. It might not be indica indicative that you have more interest in that player than another one. It might just be you have more questions about that player than the other one. And you want to make sure that your scouting report, your final report on him is well-rounded. So I think that that's one of the reasons why you start to see those things in the second, third, fourth round is because you're like, hey, this is a fairly premium pick now. You know, this is a player you could get a reasonable starter. Let's make sure that if we have someone who we think is a third round target for us, that we really have the full, you know, the full gamut. Because some of these things, these high first round picks, I don't even need to attend their pro day. I can see it on TV. You know, I can see everything I need to see. I've seen this guy play a million times. I've seen what I need to see from this guy. But with the third round picks, maybe I haven't. Maybe I haven't seen what I need to see. Let's just make sure we correct check this box, cross this off, get a well-rounded scouting report. And sometimes I feel like that's the, the case with those uh, those investigations into their mm -hmm. pro days and stuff. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. Now in the second round, um, along with Carlos Basham Jr. and Elijah Molden, we're seeing a lot of Quinn Miners, the uh, interior offensive lineman from Wisconsin, Whitewater, small school. Um, what are your thoughts on him? And uh, he seems to be a, a, a favorite of uh, of some people to be in the second round is a small school 
um, prospect for that for that position. You like Quinn Miners a lot more before you put on his tape. If you watch him at the Senior Bowl and you're like, yeah, okay, he held his own, he was he was good, and then you see some of the workout numbers, you're like, okay, yeah, bench press looks good, yeah, all right, and you hear the stories and you see the character and you're like, yeah, process, let's do all this stuff, and then you put on the t- the tape for him and you're like, ah, eh, it, was, it was fine. Like, <laughs> listen, if you're playing at Whitewater, like, I want to see dominance from you. If you're a Division two, Division three player, I want to see you dominate because. You're going up a lot. And I didn't see him dominate. One of my questions about Josh Allen was, you didn't dominate at Wyoming, dude. Now, I'm not going to change my entire draft process because of Josh Allen. Like, Josh Allen's not going to make me not care about that thing anymore because Josh Allen's a unicorn. So, congratulations. You made me my words, Josh Allen. But I'm not going to change the entire way I view the draft and your necessity to dominate at lower levels just because Josh Allen made me eat my words. He's a unicorn. He's awesome. He's an unbelievable outlier when it comes to things like this. But as a general rule, you know, if I want to see you in division two, division three, whatever it is, a lower level of football, I want to see dominance and I didn't see dominance. So I'm a little bit lukewarm on Quinn Minerts overall. What about um, Ifyatu Melifanwu, the cornerback out of Syracuse? I think a lot of people in Bills Mafia have been, uh, he's kind of been a little bit of a fan favorite, and he's one of those players where he could be a boundary corner, maybe a nickel corner. Um, curious to see where you would see him at, and do you think, would you be interested in him if he came uh, available in the second round? I would be interested in him. I do like Ifyatu Melifanwu. I think a lot of people are using his brother Obi's uh, NFL lack of success against him, which I think is kind of a shame. There's lots of examples of brothers where one of them is a lot better than the other one. I mean, Peyton Manning was a lot better than Eli Manning. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> that's just the way it is. So yeah. a lot of people thought when Eli Manning was coming out, he was going to be Peyton, but more athletic. In fact, Peyton called him me, but more athletic. Well, that's, mm-hmm. that's not what ended up happening by any means. Yeah. So for me, I'm not holding that against him at all. And for me, Melifonwu is a an example of checking boxes that you want to check. I mean, you want someone who has requisite size. Got it. You want someone who has requisite athletic ability. Got it. You want someone who played Division One football, ideally. Got it. I think he's an outside corner. I don't think he's a nickel. Um, I don't think I don't think I trust him with two way routes as much. I think he gets a little bit high sometimes. But all that stuff is mitigated a little bit by being on the outside. You know, if you have inside outside coverage in the slot and you have to defend routes going both directions. I think it necessitates you to play a little bit lower in your hips than if I had to Malifano has historically played, but I like him and I'm completely happy taking him at 61. I, this is gonna, I wouldn't love him at 30, but I wouldn't throw a fit if he was 30 either. I think he's worth a first round pick. So I, I think very highly of if I had to Malifano. Now, why why would he be sliding to the second round? Is it literally because you said he checks off a lot of boxes? Is it literally just because of his brother, or is he missing something else in his game? I think part of it's the strength of the class. Mm. I think part of it's totally the strength of the class. Mm. I think that there's a there's an understanding that if he was in a potentially a different draft class, that maybe he would go a little bit higher. The other thing to consider with Ifeatu Melifanwu is that when you come from Syracuse and you have those that length and everything, and you're not quite 
you're not quite as quick as you want to be. I have a feeling people start thinking that you're Tremaine Johnson. Do you remember Tremaine Johnson? He was a Jets corner mm-hmm. and he came from the Rams. He got crazy overpaid and was like the worst free agent in Jets history. Mm-hmm. Just unbelievable bust. I think when you have those long players who are a little bit, little bit stiff and a little bit high, you're like, oh, um, is he going to learn some of the nuances? Because if I had to Malafonu does have some nuance issues, right? Now, he's, he's, I'm not saying he's a raw lump of clay because he's not. But I already mentioned he was plays a little bit high, which is one of the reasons why I don't think he's he's a nickel. But, you know, there's, there's a couple injury different issues. The, he's not super agile, but he's fast. So you look at some other things like route anticipation with getting getting his eyes back around to the ball. You see this with some of the Georgia corners, uh, Tyson Campbell. You see this with the Georgia corner a lot. They just don't get their eyes back around. Now, there's some discussion about whether or not the Georgia corners were actually coached to play through the hands of the wide receiver instead of turning their head around and getting their head around for the ball. So these are not athletic issues. These are like nuances of playing corner. And so if you look at if I had to Malafani, when you look at him compared to some of the other corners in the draft, you say, okay, they're athletes. He's an athlete, but they do the little things better than he does. And I think that if they didn't have this class that included unbelievable technicians like Patrick Sertan, right? He's one of my favorite players to watch on tape ever. I love Patrick Sertan Jr. Like I, I love him. It's like watching things that are not safe for work. If it was a cornerback, like I feel dirty when I'm done watching him, like I need a cigarette or something. Oh yeah, because like it's it's that good. Nate it is so good watching him play corner. Everything is perfect. Every foot is where it's supposed to be. Every hand is where it's supposed to be. It's so good. But for me, if I have Alfonso, is the Again, not raw lump of clay. He just doesn't do the little things as well as these other t- players do it. And that's the thing that makes him not be as high for me. So there's a player that has become just a darling of uh, Bill's Mafia in the last few days. And uh, maybe it's just because he's starting to fall in some mock drafts, but that's Jeremiah Owasu Karamoa, um, the linebacker of Notre Dame. And I should have mentioned him with the first rounders, but um, obviously usually taken before Buffalo um, has a chance to pick at number 30. Um, do you like him? Where do you see his skill set? Is it Would he be a replacement for AJ Klein? Would he be a big nickel? Would he be a potential replacement for Tremaine Edmonds? Where do you, do you like him and where do you see him fitting for the Buffalo Bills? I do like Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. I like him quite a bit. I think that there is an explosiveness to him that if you just let him come downhill, I think if you want, if you, if you were upset that the bills didn't pick Kyle Duggar last year, because you wanted that explosive sub package defender. I was a Jeremy chin guy last year. I wasn't a, a Duggar guy last year. I was a Jeremy chin guy, but if you were upset about missing out on them, this is your opportunity now to get I mean, six foot two fifteen. This is a guy who can play man-to-man against slot receivers and come downhill and smack you. One of the problems that defenses are faced with in the NFL currently is that the prevalence of flex tight ends and more versatile 
tight ends and running backs who can flex out to the slot is it creates a weird dynamic for you where if you're in nickel, you're too small. And if you're in base, you're too slow. And that's exacerbated with the bills. So people who have listened to my podcast, the Bruce exclusive, they've heard me say that before. If you're in nickel, you're too small. If you're in base, you're too slow. Now let's take that concept and apply it to the bills. If you're in nickel, you got Taron Johnson. If you're in base, you have AJ Klein. I think that's even more exasperated by the Buffalo Bills. If you're a coach, you're like, that concept, I'm in nickel, I'm too small, and I'm in base, I'm too slow. It's even worse with the Bills than it is with other teams because Taron Johnson's real small and AJ Klein is not good in space. So if you want to try and Goldilocks this, if you want to split the difference and go too small, too slow, just right then you want a player like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. You want someone who is 6-2-2-15. And he's someone who can flow to the ball and can run downhill. And you feel comfortable with him if you have a team like, for example, the New England Patriots, who's going to go a lot of 12 personnel this year. A lot of 12 personnel this year. Now they have Hunter Henry, and now they have the tight end from the Titans who they signed, who everybody was all about, right? John Smith. Now they have that. You know, they're going to play. They didn't put the two most significant amounts of guaranteed money on the table for tight ends to put one of them on the bench. That's not going to happen. They're going to play a ton of 12 personnel. And when you have 12 personnel and you pull them in tight and you think, gosh, they might run. Do you stay in nickel and get your face pounded off? And then when they go in 12 personnel, but then flex them out into the slots. Now, all of a sudden, if you're in base because you're afraid of getting your face blown off, now you have AJ Klein covering Janu Smith in the slot. I don't want that. Do you want that? Because I don't want that. I'm not interested in that. You combat it with people like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. You say, okay, fine. We're not going to get caught in purgatory. We're not going to get caught in purgatory. We're not going to be caught in that weird spot where no matter what we do, we guess wrong. So for me, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa is absolutely the player I would take if he was on the board 30. I would take him over a lot of other players we've talked about because they don't make a lot of them. This is a supply and demand issue. I can get a corner later. I can get an edge later. I can't get Jeremiah Wusukoromo later. I can get Hamsa Nasruddin later, but you're projecting a lot with Hamsa Nasruddin. And the reason you're projecting with him is because Florida State was a disaster. They've been a disaster since Willie Taggart showed up. Complete disaster at Florida State. So sometimes you'll see people running around the defense of Florida State. You're like, where are you going? I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. It was like watching the Rex Ryan defense where no one had any idea what was going on because there was 37 checks in the defense. You're like, what? what is this? What is happening right now? And nobody lived up to their potential in the Rex Ryan defense. Nobody. At least it's nobody in the front seven did. It was the same thing with Florida State ever since Jimbo Fisher left and Willie Taggart came in. Ever since that happened, now, of course, you know, they got rid of Willie Taggart, but that was the beginning of the end for Florida State. We had the same thing happen with Cam Akers last year. When you watch Cam Akers, the running back from Florida State last year, mm-hmm. you watched the running scheme for Florida State and you were like, what is this? What am I watching right now? How do I even project this guy? I think he's talented. He runs well. But as far as like scoutable reps, like translatable reps, because not every rep that you take in college is something that's translatable to the next level. But when you're looking for it and you're going, ha there's an NFL rep. You just don't see it with Florida State players because I don't know what they're doing. 
So yes, you can count on it, Hamza Nasruddin later, but you're projecting Jeremiah Wusu Koromoa. You're not projecting nearly as much. So if he's there at 30, I will be screaming at my television. I don't think he'll be there at 30, but if he shows up at 30, I will be screaming at my television. I'd probably take him over most of the other players we've talked about. Thanks again to Bruce Nolan from the Bruce Exclusive Podcast. If you're subscribed to the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network, I'm sure you will hear it there. Um, obviously a great listen. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. So I was really happy that we could have him on to discuss this. But actually, in our initial recording, we also did a mock draft together. And I also did a mock draft with Buffalo Rumblings uh, draft writers uh, Dan Lavoy and Griff from the site. So next week, I'm going to release two separate episodes. One will be the first one will be the mock draft they did with Dan and Griff. They each did their own mock drafts. And then the second one later that day will be the one I release with Bruce Nolan. And uh, if you've been listening for the last month or so, the whole point of all of this conversation is to educate everyone as far as the players that could be available when the Bills pick in the first round at number 30, but also just some names to watch out for in general, just to be just so you're as educated as you can be going into the draft. So you've understand and heard those names just in case you're not a complete draft fanatic. And then even in the case that you are a draft fanatic, we hope to give you some insight there as well. So stay tuned for that. Um, again, this is both the conversations are really, really good uh, with both uh, sets of people with uh, Dan and Griff at the site, and then obviously Bruce here on the podcast network. So thanks again to Bruce for coming on and giving all of the insight that he did. Stay tuned for more. And for me, Nate, go Bills. Again, don't draft a running back at number 30 in the first round, and we'll talk to you guys again next week. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Hey, who you repping? What's your team? Who you repping? What's your team? You know I'm repping for my team. I got that challenge on my team. Micah High, Jordan Poyer, can you catch it? Can you? Trade day is like a mask, you're not catching anything. Matt Milano making plays, we not scared of any team. Best in the AFC, all the praise of Brandon Bean. You hear Sean McDermott clapping while I'm snapping? Do you? Jerry Hughes will get the sack soon as you snap it. Andre Roberts running back, ain't no just backing. Mafia, we on a ride and we got traction. We got Beasley, we got Diggs. Dawson Knox with the stiff arm, treat opponents just like his Feliciano, Deion Dawkins, block defenders like the fence Hey, it's the mafia, I said no one on top of us I said no one is blocking us on top of our division So it's clear that it's no stopping us Google best team in the league and we popping up Hey, who you repping, what's your team? Who you repping, what's your team? You know I'm repping for my team I got a salad on my team it's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Uh. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Hey, it's the mafia, I said no one on top of us. I said no one is blocking us on top of our division, so it's clear that it's no stopping us. Google best team in the league, and we popping up. Home game for the playoffs, but you already snow. Gabe Davis is a rookie, but he playing like a pro. Uh, going through a table, only time we ever fold. Can you dig it? 17, by to take us to the bowl. Hey.
Don't you run it? No. Oliver and Trey Edmonds gonna be on it. on it. We got Corey, but we barely ever punt it. Never. Cause we just running up the score on our opponent. We got BZ, we got Diggs. Single Terry, buy the juke him out of shoes. Make a miss, run it in. Zach also throw the digs. It's for sick. Terrence Johnson, pick six to the house. Take a flick. Hey, it's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. It's the mafia, I'm with the Buffalo Bills. It's the mafia, you know I'm rocking with the bills. Hey, hey, hey. Who you reppin', what's your team? Who you reppin', what's your team? You know I'm reppin' for my team. Instead of digs on my team Super Bowl, what you mean? Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills, mate. <laughs>